You're listening to In My Father's House with our pastor and teacher, Mike Fenizio, Senior Pastor of Harvest Christian Fellowship in New York City, New York. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be, oh, my heart will not be troubled. I remember what you said. This wouldn't have even been possible, that is the entire world, you know, being able to view and see their dead bodies lying in the streets of Jerusalem. This would have not even been possible a few generations ago, because remember, just a few generations ago, we didn't even possess the technology, the satellite feeds that we do right now, uh, that we possess right now. The time is ripe for the fulfillment of many of the prophecies concerning the end times found in the book of Revelation. As Pastor Michael pointed out in today's message, the way that most of these prophecies assume that the entire world will be able to witness the events it describes is something that wasn't even possible until the last few generations. The development of television and then the internet have made it possible to witness events happening all across the world in real time. Now here's Pastor Mike in the book of Revelation chapter 11 as he continues his message, God's Two Witnesses. The other witness. Okay, let's get into this. Now, this is even more open to speculation. Possibly, and many people believe that it is Enoch. And Pastor Jose and I were talking. We were in here on uh, Friday, setting up some stuff and doing some last-minute things. And, uh, and then I drove him home, and we were talking about the two witnesses, and, and uh, we were talking about the identity of them. And, and I think Jose uh, leans more towards Enoch than the one that I'm about to suggest, or the one that I actually lean to, but I'll get to that in a, a moment. But one of the reasons why it may be Enoch is because Enoch, who lived before the flood, we were introduced to him briefly in the book of Genesis, he lived before the, uh, before the flood, and he was translated without seeing death, even as Elijah. In Genesis chapter 5, and verse 24, we are told that Enoch walked with God, and he was not. In other words, God took him, sort of like the rapture, right? Like a rapture of the, the church. Another reason why I think that many people believe that it is uh, Enoch is because Enoch, uh, like Elijah, was a prophet of judgment. If you just go back one book of the Bible, just quickly, in the book of Jude, concerning Enoch's ministry, now Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men also saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints, 
So, the second coming, to execute judgment on all, seven years of tribulation, to convict all who are ungodly, among them of all their ungodly deeds, which they have committed in an ungodly way, and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken uh, against. So, Elijah, Enoch, both were prophets of judgment. So it's possibly, plausible, the other witness may be Enoch. But this is the one that I lean more towards as the second. I, I'm, I'm, I'm almost persuaded that it's Elijah. But I think Moses might be a good bet. You know, we, yes, we are told that Moses died. But you know what? We are told that God took the body of Moses. Remember the devil contending over the body of Moses? Remember Michael the archangel? It's, it's uh, recorded for us in the book of Jude. Remember Michael then rebuked the Lord and he had to uh, relent. And uh, so although we are told that Moses died, it wouldn't be any big deal for God to resurrect his body or breathe life back into him, even as he did Lazarus, right? But I'll give you one of the reasons why I believe that it, it might be Moses is because the capacity that Moses had to draw and call out the plagues upon uh, Egypt, one of which was turning the water into blood. And even as the witness, one of these witnesses, or both of them, were able to turn water into uh, blood. So how many of you think it's Enoch? Just lift up your hand. How many of you think it's Moses? Lift up your hand. All right, I don't know, whatever. Again, listen, you know what? We're going to find out. How cool is that, right? And, you know, not only are we going to find out, we're going to have the ability when we get to heaven to talk to these guys. Could you imagine that? Talking to Moses? Yeah, Moses. Where's your Moses now, right? And, uh... <laughs> All right, so anyway. But notice here, let's go back to our text now. Verse 7. Notice, they are persecuted and overcome. Let's go back to our text in verse 7. When they finished their testimony, and not a moment before, the beast, the Antichrist, that ascends out of the bottomless pit will make war against them, who? The two witnesses, and he will overcome them, and he will kill them. Now, what's important here is that these two witnesses, like all true witnesses of Jesus Christ, are immortal or bulletproof until their work is done. Notice what it says once again. They were killed after they had finished their testimony. Now, this is not the only testimony to this fact. I mean, think about Paul. Think about Paul and his ministry. Think about some of the hardships and struggles and difficulties and antagonism that he had to put up with, that he had to deal with. And how many times did God spare him so that he could finish his testimony? And again, let me say this. I think that this is important. Like all true witnesses of Jesus Christ, you are immortal. You are bulletproof until your work is done. But just make sure that you're doing the work of the Lord, right? And uh, Because then there's no guarantees. Just make sure you keep yourself in that place where God can work uh, through you. And I think that's, that's important. Now, so significant will be the testimony of these two witnesses during the three and a half years that their death at the hands of the Antichrist will cause an international stir. 
Let's go back to our text, verses 8 through uh, 10. And their dead bodies will lie in the street of the great city, which spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. So what city are we talking about? Jerusalem. Then those from the people's tribes, tongues, and nations will see their dead bodies three and a half days and not allow their dead bodies to be put into grace. So they're just leaving their dead bodies on the streets of the city of Jerusalem. And those who dwell on the earth will rejoice over them, make merry, and send gifts to one another. Sort of like Christmas. Because these two prophets tormented those who dwell upon the uh, earth. Okay, so there's a celebration going on here because the Antichrist was successful in putting these two witnesses of God to uh, death. You know, let me tell you something. This wouldn't have even been possible, that is, the entire world, you know, being able to view and see their dead bodies lying in the streets of Jerusalem. This would have not even been possible a few generations ago Because remember, just a few generations ago, we didn't even possess the technology, the satellite feeds that we do right now, uh, that we possess right now. I mean, think about it. Something that's going on in another continent around the world as it's going on live. We see it right here in New York City, right? So it just goes to show you, I mean, a couple of generations. I mean, within the last generation, we had this capacity, but a generation is only 40 years. So, you know, two generations, only 80 years ago, which is, you know, I mean, on the prophetical calendar, it's, it's really a brief period of time. So this wouldn't have been, even been possible more than two generations uh, ago. But again, it just goes to show you how close it is to Jesus coming back uh, for his uh, people. But now, God's enemies are about to witness a demonstration of divine power that the Antichrist cannot equal. Let's go back to our text, verses 11 and 12. Now, after the three and a half days, okay, their motionless bodies, their dead bodies are lying in the streets of Jerusalem, the breath of life from God entered them, and they stood on their feet, and great fear, you think, fell on those who saw them. And they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, come up here. And they ascended to heaven in a cloud, and their enemies saw them. Wow. Oh, man. So imagine the fear that will grip the hearts of those who would not hear their claims concerning Jesus Christ. And their ascension, think about this, validates all of the claims that they had made concerning Christ. Because this is a literal uh, resurrection that's being described for us here. And I'm sure during the time that they had in the three and a half years preaching the gospel, I'm sure that they spoke often of the resurrection of the dead. How that all men, great and small, one day will have to stand before the great white judgment throne of Jesus Christ and have to give an account for their sin. Right? So think about that. So it just kind of validated uh, the message that they uh, were was uh, sharing. And then to add to their terror, let's go back to our text, Verse 13, at the same time as they were ascending into heaven, in the same hour there was a great earthquake, and a tent of the city fell, that is a tent of the city of Jerusalem. Man, you know, pretty devastating. 
in the earthquake, 7,000 people were killed, and the rest were afraid. And notice the effect of this. This is interesting. And I, you know what? But, uh, well, I'll get to it. And gave glory to the God of heaven. Now, some Bible teachers suggest that because of this earthquake, uh, and I don't know about this, possibly this event triggers a revival. Because notice what it said. According to the, uh, when the earthquake happened, the result was the people gave glory to God. And I guess that's the reason why some Bible teachers believe that this kind of triggers a revival. But let me ask you this question. When you think about revival or a person coming to Christ, was there any evidence of repentance? Was there any godly sorrow? Plus, you know, through this mix, you know, when a people repent of their sin, then God postpones his judgment. But that ain't the case here in the book of Revelation, folks. As we will see, as we continue, we're only halfway through this book of the Bible. And there's still many other judgments that are going to be poured out by God upon a Christ-rejecting world. And and think about Pharaoh. Here's here's an example of this. You know, with each plague that came upon uh, Pharaoh, you know, he he just said, yeah, we better let God's people go. And then in the middle of that, he changed his mind. And each time we are told, Pharaoh hardened his heart. There may have been some temporary sorrow, right? But it didn't last all that long, did it? Finally, when he let them go, what happened? After they were crossing over the... Uh, the Red Sea. He had a change of heart once again. And Pharaoh hardened his heart. So what did he do? Chasing them down. He was going to bring them back to, to Egypt. So, you know, was there fruit meat for repentance? Acts chapter 24 and verse 25. Let me set this up for you. Remember when Paul was being held as a political prisoner? He was getting the runaround. And he's standing before Felix, the governor at that time, and he's just laying the gospel on him. I mean, just a heavy presentation of the gospel. And Felix is convicted. And he's almost persuaded to be a Christian. So anyway, with that said, let's check this out. Now, as he reasoned, Felix, about righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come, all of which Paul just laid on him, Felix was afraid. And he answered, go away for now. When I have a convenient time, I will call for you. Listen, this man was convicted. But did he do anything about his conviction? Was there any repentance? Was there any fruit that came forth meat for repentance? I don't think so. So, I don't know. Some Bible teachers teach that, you know, this is evidence of repentance because we are told they gave glory to God, maybe for the moment, right? But then the people just reverted back to their old ways. Now, anyway, with the translation of the two witnesses from the earth, the seventh trumpet sounds. Okay, so this is the final trumpet of the seven trumpet judgments. Okay, we were introduced to that, I guess, almost two, what, two messages ago. Remember, the first series of judgments were the seal judgments. Remember, with the loosening of each seal in heaven, there's a a corresponding cataclysmic judgment that's taking place upon the earth. For the most part, such is the case with the trumpet judgments. When the angels sounded the trumpet in heaven, there was a corresponding cataclysmic event taking place upon the earth. Okay, so now we get to the final blast of the seven 
uh, trumpets. And notice what, what takes place there uh, in verse 15. We read, Then the seventh angel sounded, and there were loud voices in heaven, saying, The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. Folks, we look forward to that day, don't we? And we're going to have a place in that kingdom. Aren't you looking forward to that day? Man, we, we can't even imagine what that's going to be like. No more sin, no more temptation, no more sickness, no more death, no more coronavirus, no more wearing these stupid masks. Don't you hate wearing those masks? Yeah. You do, but we got to do it, right? Social distancing. I'm Italian. I have a hard time. When people like come, I forget, you know, and I just you know, I go and hug. I shouldn't do that, but anyway. Okay, so with the blast of the seventh trumpet, it's an announcement. Think of it in this way. It's sort of like this trumpet blast is a proclamation. It's sort of, it's, it's sort of like a coronation. You know what? When the king is coronated, they blow the trumpets. Think about it in this way. Jesus is being coronated, coronated. He's about to assume his rightful position as the king over all of the earth. So this, this blast of the trumpet is announcing one universal kingdom, one king, every knee bowing, every tongue confessing. The earth at this time will be filled with the glory of Jesus Christ. But don't be confused. I know the language of verse 15 sounds uh, as if the prophecy that is recorded there for us in verse 15 was already fulfilled as soon as the seven trumpet sounds. But there's still, as I mentioned, uh, other judgments to follow. There's the seal judgments. There's the trumpet judgments. We haven't even been introduced to the bold judgments. There's three different series of judgments that are included in the book of Revelation. And then not only that, we have uh, the destroying of uh, Mystery Babylon, which is this ecumenical uh, council of churches that exists as a counterfeit substitution. The people of the earth have been uh, made intoxicated by drinking of their wine. That has to be destroyed before Christ's coming. Then there's the Battle of Armageddon, which hasn't taken place yet. Then there's the, uh, the second coming of Jesus Christ and the establishing of the millennial kingdom. We haven't even talked about that. Then there's the great white judgment throne of Jesus Christ. We haven't talked about that. We haven't talked about the new city of Jerusalem coming down from heaven. We haven't talked about that. We haven't talked about entering into a new time continuum where everything is now eternal, right? And so there's still a lot to come. So what we have here then is the, a declaration in anticipation in, in regards of what will soon happen. Because again, there's still more to uh, come. But then notice in verses 16 and 17, and the 24 elders, who are the 24 elders? Remember, we were introduced to them when John is raptured in chapter 4. They sit on these sub-thrones around the throne where Jehovah God is seated. And um, I suggested they may be, I don't know, 12 representatives of the Old Testament, maybe the 12, 12 prophets. And uh, the other 12 may be the 12 apostles. We don't know but they were probably uh, groups of, of believers that were uh, profoundly used by God uh, during their time while they were upon the earth. So these 24 sub-thrones. And so anyway, the 24 elders, 
who sat before God on their thrones, fell on their faces and worshiped God at the announcement of what is recorded there in verse 15 at the blast of that seventh trumpet, saying, We give you thanks, O Lord God Almighty, the one who is and who was, and and this is Jesus, of course, and who is to come, because you have taken your great power and have uh, reigned. Okay, so the elders in heaven are rejoicing in anticipation, it hasn't happened yet, in anticipation of Christ's eternal kingdom to come and Satan's thorough defeat. Now, finally, verse 18. And verse 19 we'll get to next time. I'm not going to include it in this morning's message. It fits very nicely with chapter 12. So finally, verse 18. The nations were angry. Isn't this crazy? Think about it. In heaven, they're rejoicing. But on earth, the people are angry. Why were they angry? Well, we'll get to that. The nations were angry, and your wrath has come. And the time of the dead, that they should be judged, and that you should reward your servants, the prophets, and the saints, and those who fear your name, small and great, and should destroy those who have destroyed the earth. Okay, so the events which cause rejoicing in heaven stir up anger upon the earth. Unfortunately, the two places have nothing in common. The earth dwellers must relinquish all things of their earthly life to the creator and owner of all, who is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So the earth dwellers, think about this then, their plans, their worldly pursuits, all of their goals are interrupted, and the heathen is hostile. They're angry. Well, listen, gang, this is what it all comes down to. Rebel against God, ignore his claims, and ultimately you lose it all. Verses enthrone Christ over our lives, pursue his goals, embrace his claims, and, re- and, you- and what will be the result of that? You're not going to lose anything. You're going to receive great rewards. You know what I call this? This is the law of losing and receiving. And it's a choice that each and every one of us has to make. You know, disobey God, turn your back upon God, and ultimately you lose everything. Embrace God, live according to his revealed word, and you receive everything. This is, these, this is just another law of God that governs the universe, what I refer to as the law of losing and receiving. Hey, listen, gang, enthrone Christ, and your life will be full. It will be rich in good things, spiritual blessings, and ultimately eternal life. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be, oh my heart. We're so glad you joined us today on In My Father's House for our continuing verse-by-verse study through the book of Revelation. If you'd like to hear more messages from Pastor Mike, please visit our website at harvestnyc.org. You can listen online at oneplace.com by searching for Harvest Christian Fellowship or Pastor Mike Venizio. Viewing our recent services can be an option as well through Vimeo. 
We also invite you to subscribe to our podcast. Just search your favorite platform for In My Father's House with Mike Finizio. If you're in Midtown Manhattan and looking for a church home, come visit us here at Harvest Christian Fellowship. We meet every week for worship, Bible study, and fellowship. It's easy to get here. You can reserve your seat and get directions at our website. If you can't make it in person, that's okay. Join us on the live stream to participate in our services virtually. Just follow the link at harvestnyc.org. If you have any questions for us, just give us a call at 212-247-1877. We'd be honored to pray for you too, so feel free to let us know how we can do that for you. That number again is 212-247-1877. Would you like to connect with us on social media? You can find us on Facebook and Instagram. Just follow the links at harvestnyc.org. We're so glad you took the time to listen in today, and we hope you'll join us again next time on In My Father's House. There's a place for